You are now listening to the September 12th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Story of Kings, Sermon, and Praying for the Next Generation. First, let's begin with Story of Kings. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian Winston with Story of Kings. We all know about King David and King Solomon because they are famous kings in the Bible. We covered their stories over the last few months. After sharing their stories, we were introduced to other kings that came after them. We learned about how the country split into the south and north, Judah to the south, and Israel to the north. We heard the stories of the first king Rehoboam and the second king Abijah in the southern kingdom of Judah and the first king Jeroboam in the northern kingdom of Israel. In particular, Jeroboam in the northern kingdom of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. He became so infamous his name became associated with being an evil king. For those kings that came after him, who also did evil in the sight of God, were described as walked in the ways of Jeroboam in the Bible. Nadab, who became king after Jeroboam, was also an evil king. There were many kings after him, such as Baasha, Elah, Zimri, and Omri. They were all evil kings who walked in the ways of Jeroboam. The evil ways of all these kings during the early years of Israel persisted throughout the history of Israel. There is in fact no record of any good king from Israel who walked in the ways of the Lord. How about the kings of Judah then? How do you think they fared compared to those in the north? Fortunately, there were a few good kings in Judah who walked in the ways of the Lord. They removed idols and followed the commandments of God. Asa is one of those good kings who we will learn about today. Asa is the third king of Judah after Rehoboam and Abijah, and he reigned over Judah for 41 years. During the reign of Asa in the southern king of Judah, many kings came and went in northern Israel. As previously mentioned, there was Baasha, Elah, Zimri, and Omri. During the same period, when there was only one king ruling over Judah and offering steady leadership, the situation in Israel was much more unstable with many changes at the top. Now let's get acquainted with King Asa and how he ruled Judah for 41 years. In 1 Kings chapter 15 verse 11, the Bible says Asa did what was right in the sight of God just like his ancestor David. Also, in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 2, it is said that Asa did good and right in the sight of God. Both the book of 1 Kings and the book of 2 Chronicles offer a consistent assessment of Asa as a good king. We can get a sense of that by looking at what he did right after he became king. According to 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 11 to 13, 
The first thing he did as soon as he became king was to remove idols. Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. He also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his fathers had made. He also removed Maacah, his mother, from being the queen, because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kedron. Second Chronicles also records that Asa removed idols and shows how he reformed Judah to seek God. Here is what is said in Second Chronicles chapter 14, verses 2 to 5. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God, for he removed the foreign altars in high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. Asa commanded people of Judah to seek God and observe the laws and commandment, and he started to follow this command, starting with himself. For his obedience, it is said in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 6, that the land was undisturbed and there was no one at war during those years, because the Lord had given him peace and rest. Chapter 14, verse 1 says that the land was undisturbed for ten years during his reign. Just because God gave him a sustained peace and quiet, that did not mean Asa just enjoyed his life and did not do anything. To the contrary, he built fortified cities in Judah and surrounded them with walls and towers, gates and bars. Also, Asa diligently worked on increasing his military force. He raised an army of 300,000 from the tribe of Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from the tribe of Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. Just to put these numbers in perspective, compared to his father Abijah's army, which was 400,000 soldiers, Asa had a large army with 180,000 more soldiers. Well, it might have looked like Asa's diligence was eventually paying dividends because a war came to him about 10 years after he became king. However, the opposing force that faced off Asa was formidable and overpowering. Zerah from Ethiopia marched out against Judah with an army of a million soldiers and 300 chariots and arrived at Marisha in Judah. Theologians say that, historically, Zerah, the Ethiopian, must have been the general from Ethiopia who commanded the army of Asorkan, the king of Egypt. Also, Marisha is an important city in Judah between Hebron and Gaza, where Rehoboam erected a fortified city. When Zerah, the Ethiopian, arrived at Marisha with his army, Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up a battle line in the valley of Zephathah in Marisha. The exact location of Zephathah is not known, but theologians think it must be one of the valleys to the north of the city. After forming a battle line to face off the formidable Ethiopian army, 
Asa called to the Lord his God. Here is what he said in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Zerah's army was more than twice the size of the army led by Asa. Looking at the number of soldiers alone, it looked like a lopsided situation. But Asa knew that the war was in the hands of God and trusted that the only one who could help him was God. So Asa relied on God and asked for his deliverance. God answered Asa's call. Here is what is said in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 12. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. God defeated the Ethiopians in the sight of Asa and the people of Judah. The Bible records that Asa and the people who were with him pursued the Ethiopian forces as far as Gerar, and many Ethiopians fell. The Ethiopians were shattered before God and before Asa's army. Asa's army destroyed not only Zerah's army, but also destroyed all the cities around Gerar before returning to Jerusalem with all the plunder taken from those cities. Prophet Azariah came to see Asa and his army who returned from their war with victory, and he spoke to them of God's words. Here is what he said in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him, and if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. How do you think Asa reacted after hearing this? According to 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 8, it is said that Asa took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin. Not only that, he also removed the idols from the cities that he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. Asa then also restored the altar of the Lord. Seeing how Judah was being reformed, more people from Israel moved to Judah. Many people were returning to God when they saw how God was with Asa. The Bible records that people assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of Asa's reign, and they made a promise to seek God. Here is what is said in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 12 to 15. They entered into the covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets and with horns. All Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, and he let them find him. So the Lord gave them rest 
on every side. When Asa and his people sought God with all their heart and all their soul and entered into a covenant to be with him, the faithful God met them and gave them peace as his people. How do you think Asa finished his life? In God's peace to the end? We will continue with the story of Kings next time. Thank you for listening and God bless. Too marvelous for words Too wonderful for comprehension Like nothing ever seen or heard Who can grasp your infinite wisdom The depth of your love You are beautiful beyond description Majesty enthroned above And I stand, I stand in awe I stand
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary PHX in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is how to listen. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. I want you to guess what three words every parent has said thousands and thousands of times. <laughs> listen to me. If you're a parent, you, or if you've ever known a parent, you have heard them say, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. I mean, it's a lot. We've said that as parents for sure. Well, as we look at the book of James, we're continuing to study the book of James. James has told us thus far in chapter one that, listen, uh, you're saved, Okay, you belong to God. Now he's going to talk about how we move on to maturity. And so James says in verse 19, here's how it starts. James chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be, listen to what he says, three commands, three exhortations. Let everyone be, first of all, quick to hear. Then he says, slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. James gives three commands. They really aren't suggestions. You got to understand that. He gives us three commands and they're in a very wise order. He says, I want you to be quick, careful is what quick means. I want you to be careful to hear. I want you to be slow to speak and I look slow to anger, quick to hear, slow to speak, and then very slow to anger. So we're only going to look at the first command, which is be quick to hear. This means you're to be ready. You need to be a careful listener. Be ready to hear. Be careful to hear. And I believe that you can make two general applications out of this. I think the first application is, James is saying, be careful, be ready to hear from God. Be quick to hear, be ready to hear from God. And then I think the second application that we can pull out from this is that we need to be careful to listen to one another. I think that's a second application that we're going to look at. But first, he says, I want you to listen to God. Be quick to hear, be careful to hear. You know, a number of years ago, Time Magazine's cover story was about Eric Weinmayer's climb to the top of Mount Everest in, on May of uh, 25 of 2001. He has since climbed to the highest peaks of every mountain on seven continents. Over 4,000 people, you know, have tried to climb Mount Everest well, I guess you'd say 4,000 have climbed Mount Everest, but what separates Eric from all the others is that Eric is blind. They say that most people, I think the percentage is 90% of people who try to climb Mount Everest fail. And through the years, over 300 people trying to climb Mount Everest have died. But Eric survived climbing Mount Everest blind because he was a good listener. 
The article says he listened to the little bell tied to the back of the climber in front of him so he would know what direction to go. He listened to the voice of his teammates who would shout back to him, death fall two feet to your right, so he'd not go the wrong direction. He listened to the sound of his pick jabbing the ice so we would know whether the ice was safe to cross. He made it to the top of Mount Everest blind. Now think about this. In this journey of life, dangerous journey of life, we are going to get to the top. We're going to survive. We're going to have success if we listen very well. That's going to make all the difference. In Psalm Chapter 81, verse 13, God says, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways." See, listening and walking. God says, if you're not walking in my ways, you haven't listened to me. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that they might walk in my ways. Psalm 81, verse 13. God also spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 51, verse 1, saying, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is in, uh, whose law is in my heart. So he is saying, listen to me. If you're my people, you're going to be listening to me. If your word is in my heart, you're listening to me. Well, how do you listen to God? We didn't say listen to me all the time, but how do you do it? Well, I think of like four ways. The first way is that you've got to read the Bible. I think I've said this, I don't know, hundreds of times. You got to listen to God's word. This is how God speaks to us through his word primarily, this is how God speaks to us. There might be other ways. God might use somebody else to encourage you and all, but the primary way that God is going to speak to us is through his word. And so you got to read the word. And the second way that you listen to God is that you take something that you've read from his word and you think about it and you meditate on it through the entire day. So this is my suggestion. You read something in the word of God and you read until God speaks to you and some, until something just sticks. It's kind of like the spiritual Velcro effect. You're reading, reading, and then something, that's for me today. And then that verse, that sentence maybe, you're thinking about all day long. And I wouldn't be surprised if that very verse, that section of scripture that you are thinking about will be really necessary for that day. God works that way. And think about how many times we've missed what God would want to say to us because we haven't spent the time in his word. And we haven't had that special encouragement from God because we haven't taken the time. We say, I don't have time for that. And God said, you should take the time for that because this will be your comfort, your encouragement. This will calm you through the rest of this day. Read the Bible, meditate, think about the Bible all day long. And the third thing I'm thinking, if you want to listen to God, is you got to be proactive, take proactive steps to learn 
and love God's word. You've got to be proactive. You can't just be passive. And this is where I think a lot of believers have been for a lot of years. And we don't have the privilege so much of just being passive anymore. We've got to be proactive in learning and loving the word of God. Now, there's so many ways to learn the word of God proactively right now. You're here, you're listening, you're watching because you are proactive in wanting to learn the word of God. And look, as we are proactive in doing that, the Holy Spirit takes God's word and applies it to our hearts. The Holy Spirit, he takes God's word, which he inspired, and he teaches us. There's so many ways now to learn the word of God. We're not at the disadvantage that many people were at before us. You know, there was a time when all people did was they could hear the Bible read. That was it. And then came the time where people would come in larger groups and they would hear the word of God and somebody would teach them. But there were no books. And in fact, there were no Bibles available. Scrolls and then later books were just unaffordable. You could never buy one unless you were super rich. Books were out of the question. So again, you had to listen. In fact, do you know that stained glass, the origin of stained glass windows in churches was to teach people Bible stories because they didn't have the Bible. They would look at the windows and that would teach them some of the important Bible stories. But now we have the word of God. I have so many translations of the Bible. We have the word of God. How many translations do you have? Now, I have hard copies of dozens and dozens of translations of the Bible. And then, you know, in your electronic versions of the scripture, you could, you've got every single version of the Bible that you can think of. We have teachers. You have as many teachers as you want to listen to. You've got radio, old-fashioned, TV, old-fashioned. You've got internet. You've got all sorts of possibilities to be able to listen and learn the word of God so we can be proactive. We can be proactive like no other generation. Amen? It's here for us. And then, you know, the more you're in the word of God, the more you love the word, you know about the word of God, the more you love the word of God. You just grow to love it. If you're not in the phase where you love the word of God, and it seems like what I'm talking about is more of a duty or a discipline, then just do the the discipline right now. Get in the word, be proactive, and then pray. Lord, take this from duty to discipline to delight. Lord, I want to delight in your word. Pray that. God says he'll answer prayers that are according to his will. I think that's one of them, don't you? Lord, give me a love for your word. I don't want it to just be a duty. Yes, I'll do it. I don't want it to just be a discipline. I want it to be a delight. I want to love your word. Psalm 1, 97 says, oh, how I love your teachings. They are in my thoughts all day long. How I love your teachings. They are in my heart all 
day long. I love your word, God. See, if you love God, you're going to love his word because it's his word. It's what he says. Lord, I don't want this to be duty. I don't want it to be just a discipline. I want it to be a delight to me. God's word becomes a part of our lives. Listen to this. Write this down. This is crazy. I have never read it like this before. It's Psalm 3731. Wherever you are, Psalm 3731. It says, they fill their hearts with God's law or his word. Their hearts pump God's word like blood through their veins. Is that awesome? Let me read it one more time. They fill their hearts with God's law or word. Their hearts pump God's word like blood through their veins. We become people who are full of God's word. It's not just something we know. It's something we love. How I delight in your law, the Bible says. How I delight in your word. A fourth way that we listen to God is through fellowship, when possible, with brothers and sisters, to praise, to worship, and to learn God's word together. Fellowship is so important, as we're finding out right now. Not having fellowship is frustrating, amen? I mean, it's like, when is this going to be over? I mean, there are Christians all over the world who have not, for many years, been able to fellowship with one another because it's against the law. Well, it's not against the law. It's just not smart right now. And so we're separated. Thank God for technology. Would you all say amen to that? We can still stick together. We're still one church. So James is saying that we move forward in maturity by listening to God. But I told you there was a second application is this. We move forward in maturity by listening to one another. Listening to one another. This is the second application. I think it's safe to say that at times we all really struggle with focusing on what somebody is saying. You're going to be blah, 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 blah. And at the end, you're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you don't even know what was being said. The story is told of Franklin Roosevelt, who often endured long receiving lines at the White House. And he complained that nobody was really listening to anything that he said. So one day during a reception, he decided that he was going to do an experiment. And to every person who came down the line, he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the guests would respond with, marvelous. Oh, we, you know, you're such a great president. We support you. God bless you, sir. Keep up the good work. It wasn't until the very end of the reception when the ambassador of Bolivia was coming through the line that the president said, you know, this morning I killed my grandmother and kind of confused the ambassador, leaned over and he whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. He listened. He listened. It's probably safe to say that a lot of people have never learned the art of listening. One husband reported, my wife said I never listened to her. At least that's what I think she said. Jesus was an active listener. 
As I read my New Testament and I read about the life of Jesus in four gospels, I see that Jesus was an active listener. He ministered to people by listening to them. I recently read a blog that kind of stirred up something inside of me and gave me an idea of something that I want to share with you. It's an acrostic that's going to help you remember what I call the Jesus model of listening. The first letter to help you develop the Jesus model of listening is the letter L. L. Stands for love. Jesus loved people and he listened to them. Whether it was a blind man calling out to him or it was a leper calling out to him or it was even somebody who definitely did not agree with him, he always listened to them. He would listen to them until they wouldn't want to listen to him, sadly. The basis for being quick to hear one another is because we love one another. Just like Jesus loved, he listened, we love, and we listen to one another. Listening doesn't mean you agree with what you hear. One of the things that I'm ashamed of, I'm sad about, I see people disagreeing with one another and they are so mean to one another. Listen to other people. You don't have to agree with them, but you do have to be nice. You do have to be loving. And there's a way to disagree without being mean-spirited. I mean, I just read it and I think, you don't sound any different than some other place or some other site or somebody else responding to a topic like this. Be nice. When you listen, you don't have to agree with everything you hear, but you do have to be nice. That's what Jesus says. Listening, think about it. Think about it, how many absurd prayers God hears from believers around the world. There are absolutely absurd prayers. He listens to them. He thinks this is crazy. I'm never going to answer to this, but he still listens, doesn't he? He doesn't agree with every prayer we pray or every thought we have, but he still listens to us. He hears us. And because we share a common love of Jesus, this gives us a common love for one another. 15 times in the book of James refers to those whom he's writing to as brethren, brothers and sisters, 15 times as he's addressing them with these very practical things. He reminds them, you are brothers and sisters, you are family, and nobody wants to be part of a dysfunctional family, do you? I'm not going to have those here. Raise your hands. How many of you have a dysfunctional family? Some of you are sitting with a dysfunctional family right now. Some of you are glad you have to stay home right now because you don't have to be with some people. But Jesus doesn't want his church to be a dysfunctional family. He wants to be a loving family. Jesus said, John 13, 34, you know the verse. Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Love one another 
just as important underscore, 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 just as I have loved one of you, you must love one another. That's crazy love, isn't it? That is crazy over the top love. The next letter that's going to help us remember the Jesus model of listening is I. And that stands for inquire. As you're listening, ask questions. That's what inquire means. Ask questions. When you're listening to someone, you should ask questions to make sure you understand what they're saying. Don't just think you know, ask questions. A woman went to a lawyer and she said she wanted a divorce. The lawyer got out his notepad and began to ask her some questions. Do you have any grounds? He inquired. Oh, yes, she replied, about three quarters of an acre. The lawyer paused for a moment and then asked, do you have a grudge? No, the woman answered quickly, but we do have a lovely carport. Again, the lawyer paused and then asked, does he beat you up? No, I get up before he does every morning. Finally, the lawyer blurted, lady, why do you want to divorce your husband? It's because she explained that man can't carry on an intelligent conversation. Make sure that you know what's being said. Inquire, ask questions, listen reflectively. That way it'll help you understand what somebody is saying. Maybe ask back, is this what I'm hearing you say? It sounds like you're saying. I read about an air traffic controller stationed at Selfridge Air National Guard Base in Michigan. He picked up a Montana National Guard passenger aircraft. Instead of identifying the plane by its five-digit tail number, its pilot radioed, Selfridge approach, this is Pigsty 1. He'd been taught to refer to aircraft by whatever call sign the pilot used. So the air traffic controller continued to call the aircraft Pigsty 1. And just after touching down, the pilot contacted the tower and said, Selfridge our call sign is not Pig Sky One, it's Big Sky One, and we have the governor of Montana on board. Be careful. You hear what's really being said. It's easy to miscommunicate. So as, as you listen, the Jesus model of listening includes inquiring. I can't underscore enough. There were times when Jesus asked his disciples what they thought, and then he would affirm or he would correct them. Like, remember when he asked Peter? Now, Jesus already knew the answer. He asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, did Jesus not know that? He asked Peter a question because he wanted to, it was a leading question because he wanted to uh, bring Peter to a greater point of faith. And he affirmed that. Sometimes he would ask questions of his disciples and it wasn't the right answer. This leading question he asked and he would gently correct them. And if you do that, you ask questions so that you really know maybe some leading questions. You might be the instrument that God uses to effectively help somebody grow in their spiritual life. The next letter that's going to help us remember the Jesus model of listening is S. Stop. Stop. How many times are you too busy to listen? 
How many times has your husband or wife been talking to you, maybe your kids, and you're watching something on your phone, you're texting somebody, you're reading something, and you're not really hearing, you're not giving your attention, stop. The Jesus model of listening means that you stop and give your full attention to what somebody is saying. How many times Jesus set aside what he was doing to listen to somebody? In Mark 10, chapter 49, we're told about a blind man named Bartimaeus who wanted to uh, get Jesus' attention, and the crowd was in the way, and so began to call out to Jesus. He called out and called out, and finally Jesus' disciples said, you know, basically, shut him up, you know, he's making too much noise. But when Jesus heard the guy call, we're told that, and Jesus was on a mission, you got to know. He had a place to go. He never wasted his time. But the Bible says, when Jesus heard him, he stopped. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. Jesus heard the man, and he stopped, and he says, he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. I just want you to hear this. Jesus stopped when people talked to him. I have a problem. I remember watching the old TV programs, how the husband would be sitting at the breakfast table reading the newspaper, and his wife would be talking to him. Finally, he said, will you put that newspaper down and listen to me? Well, now we have electronic devices, and we're reading them, we're watching them, and people say the same thing. And we don't hear what they're saying. That's frustrating. In fact, it makes some people feel devalued and disrespected. Listen. You know, when my grandkids, one of them now, I can be studying, I'm in my study, which they know is kind of off limits unless I invite them in because there, there's some stuff in there that you know, I don't want to have broken. And, and yet they'll stand at the door and peek around and say, wow, that's one of my grands calls me, wow, wow. Now, I cannot sit at my computer and ignore that. I stop everything and I look at her and I'll say, do you want to come in? Yes. And what can I say? Go away, go away. And now the others, you know, another now toddler, she's starting to come down and she just, she just barges right in. What do I say? Go away? I can't do that. See, we need to listen. Part of the way we show love is by stopping and hearing what people say. You know, people spend hundreds of dollars an hour to pay counselors sometimes just to listen to them because nobody else will. People crave to hear. I mean, I'm always thinking, well, who listens to the telemarketers? Well, you know, initially, when I couldn't see anybody, when I couldn't, you know, we were so, so, we couldn't get used to being quarantined, I was waiting for anybody to call. You know, tell the marketer, hey, well, how are you doing? Well, talk to me. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? I never would have done this before. 
I really didn't do that, but I felt like I could, you know. Calls, who answers? We gotta listen. The next letter, (laughs) not only do we stop, but the next letter is T. And that helps us understand a little bit more the Jesus model of listening. T, tact, (laughs) tact. Here you've gotta exercise great discernment you got to have great discernment, tact. You've got to make sure you don't jump to conclusions by what you hear. German scientists, I read, German scientists dug 50 meters down and discovered small pieces of copper. After studying these pieces for a long time, Germany announced that the ancient Germans 25,000 years ago, had a nationwide telephone network. Naturally, the Russian government was not that easily impressed. They ordered their own scientists to dig even deeper. 100 meters down, they found small pieces of glass, and they soon announced that the ancient Russians, 35,000 years ago, already had a nationwide fiber optics network. Well, American scientists were outraged by this. So they dug down 200 meters and they found absolutely nothing. Thus, they concluded that the ancient Americans 55,000 years ago had cell phones. You need to God's discernment to make sure that you really understand the info. What is the data? What are you hearing to really understand it? And then when you know, you need to have a little bit of tact as you respond to it. When dealing with people who are antagonistic, you need to have tact. Don't respond in kind. Don't be antagonistic back. Don't try to get some kind of revenge. A soft word, the Bible says, a gentle word turns away wrath. When dealing with antagonistic people, Jesus rarely responded in kind. He either ignored it or he moved on. Proverbs gives us some excellent counsel here. It's spot on in Proverbs 26, verse 4. It says, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you'll become as foolish as they are. The next letter that will help us remember the Jesus model of listening is E, explore. First of all, explore their connection with God. When you're listening to somebody, explore their connection with God. Where are they at with God? That was Jesus' response to the woman at the well in Samaria. She was on the defensive, you've got to admit, at first. And she didn't want to listen to Jesus, really. But as Jesus was listening to her, he realized that he needed to explore her relationship with God. And of course, it wasn't very good. It wasn't a right view of God, was it? And so Jesus proceeded to talk about God, to explain God to her, and to even explain her misunderstandings of the scripture. And he taught her grace. A lot of people that we listen to, a lot of people that we hear don't understand God's grace. You know, that's just the truth. They don't understand that God loves them unconditionally. They believe that they have to stand in the corner 
spiritually when God, when they do something that might offend God. We need to explain the scriptures to them and give them an insight that will help them in the relationship and their walk with God. Exhibit God's love and God's grace. That's what Jesus did. He would listen to people. He would discern where are you in your relationship with God, and then he would move forward with that. And it would take, I mean, there are some people, as he listened to them, they were mean-hearted, described God as, as being angry, a God who expected perfection, and Jesus would deal with that in a different way. The final letter that's going to help us to remember the Jesus model of listening is N, nurture. When you're listening to someone or you have listened to them and you've made headway, you've done these things, you've been careful to hear them as our apostle James says, care for them and nurture their spiritual growth if possible, if necessary, and when it's appropriate. After listening to where they are now, don't just walk away. What can you do to help them out? I listened to someone in the grocery store line. I listened to one of the checkers or somebody who's bagging the groceries. And I know I go through that. I go through that, that store a lot. And I listen to them. As I've listened, you know, you stop as much as you can. Sometimes I pray, Lord, let there no, be nobody behind me so we could talk for a minute. Then I come back through. And I want to nurture them. I realize what I heard and I'll ask back, well, how is such and such going now? And you do whatever you can to nurture that relationship, to show that you care. You want to empathize with people when you can. Sympathize with them all the time. Offer them God's love. Communicate, communicate, communicate. One of the ways that we nurture one another is that we can call one another. We can get on Zoom meetings. We can Facebook, FaceTime, we can email, we can text, we can blah, 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 blah. We have all the technology, even though we can't maybe sit down and talk with one another face to face. Or if you do, you have to be six feet plus away from one another, whatever it is right now. We can still show that we care. We can nurture one another. And that is one of the ways that we show that we are listening the Jesus way is that we nurture one another. We care for one another. Be quick to hear. First of all, be quick to hear the Lord and you hear the Lord through his word. And then be careful to listen to one another. Love one another. Inquire, stop and listen. Be tactful. Explore what are they saying? Where's their walk with God? And then be careful to go on to nurture them. Don't just drop this relationship now. If possible, nurture people because God has brought you into their lives. Father, we thank you for your word, for its ability to speak to us right where we are. Listening the Jesus way has so many applications. It has applications right now for our families as we are spending so much time together. Lord, we need to listen and apply 
what we've heard and what we've seen. There might be one of these letters that is particularly applicable in the situation we find ourselves in. So Lord, these things we don't exercise in our own strength that doesn't work. These are things that we exercise through the power that you give us through the Holy Spirit. We ask for that power right now. We thank you for the encouragement we receive from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
You're now with Unity in Christ, powered by Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to hear from you. If you have any comments or testimony that you want to share with us, please email it to askhsgm at gmail.com. Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcasts. You can easily play this week's or past week's program, or even download them on your device in just a few minutes. Search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes stores now. Coming up next is Praying for the Next Generation. Hello, my name is Tara Joy. I am the host of this program, Praying for the Next Generation. I would like to start today with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The Greek word for create in this scripture is katizo, which means to form, shape, make, fabricate, transform and create which applies only to God who alone can make what was not there before. This word is also used of God's creative activity in all things and forming the new self in believers which is created after the likeness of God. This word teaches us that we are God's masterpiece created after His own image and His likeness so we can be in intimate fellowship with Christ, prepared to do good works, and our lives begin from the moment of conception. This week, I watched a video of the Sea Life event in New York's Times Square, where countless people stood and heard the sound of heartbeats of a preborn child as they witnessed his ultrasound on the screen. Everyone stood in silence and awe as they were mesmerized by this miraculous sound of life. This video brought tears to my eyes as I reflected with sadness on how we treat this gift of life as a nation. Our next generation is growing up in a death culture that desensitized them to the value of human life to the point of violent destruction of many innocent unborn babies. Recent studies show that there have been more than 62 million abortions performed in our nation since 1973, and 52% of abortion-seeking women are under the age of 25. When a young woman is faced with an unplanned pregnancy, who does she turn to? Unfortunately, Many of them often seek help from organizations like Planned Parenthood, the largest provider of reproductive health services, including abortion. Nearly 79% of Planned Parenthood offices are established within five miles of a college campus. My beloved, can you see the evil scheme of the enemy against our next generation? 
It's time to unite our hearts and war against abortion in fervent prayer. Let's cry out to God that He will raise up a pro-life generation who will represent His gift of life, oppose abortion, and advocate for the rights of the unborn. Father, we praise you for creating us as your masterpiece for good works. Lord, we have grieved your heart and greatly sinned against you as a nation through our moral collapse of legalizing same-sex marriage and abortion. God, please forgive your church for being silent, passive, and ignorant of these evil sins. Please forgive us for dehumanizing the lives of unborn children in our nation and killing them every day. Soften our hearts to celebrate the sanctity of human life and give us your perspective to see these unborn children as your masterpiece with divine purpose created for your glory. Father, please forgive every parent who chose to abort their child and those who have influenced them to make their choice. You are the Lord who heals the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. Through your goodness and kindness, lead them all to repentance and change their hearts and minds to accept your will and divine truth so they may receive your merciful forgiveness and abounding grace to forgive themselves for committing this sin. Jesus, thank you for your precious blood and beautiful gift of redemption. By the power of your blood, please heal their grief and remorse over the loss of their child and set them free from guilt, shame, self-condemnation, trauma, and death. Restore them with your gift of salvation, abundant life, overflowing hope, and unfailing love, surrounded by loving families and wise counselors who will help and support them to start living lives of healing and freedom in your truth and tender mercy. Raise up this generation as your advocates of life, truth, hope, and healing for hurting women who are currently grieving in deep sorrow as a result of their abortions. Father, we also pray for young women who are facing unplanned pregnancies and are filled with fear and shame and contemplating the choice of abortion right now. Please give them courage to choose life and save their children. In this critical hour, Bring them your people to be the voice of your truth and wisdom so they can support these women with genuine love and divine wisdom and guide them to make the best choices for the lives of their unborn children. Raise up godly, pro-life leaders in our government, state courts, and the Supreme Court of the United States. May the evil schemes of the highest authorities of the abortion industry and pro-choice movement be exposed and brought to justice by our Lord Jesus Christ in order to abolish abortion in our nation. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.